welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. And today we are back again with another notorious number two horror film. This being February, the second month of the year, in case you haven't figured out how clever we are. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't figured out how clever we are, you'll figure it out later as we go along through this podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh Uh, (laughs) Um. Friday the 13th Part 2. So this is a film that um, I think both you and I, Craig, realized that needed to be on this list. Our, yeah. We really were aiming for number twos that had some significant departure from the first or were in some way weird or significant. And this is definitely a bit of an outlier in the series, kind of along with the first one in a way, because after the first two, all the rest of them, t- to my mind, are, are all the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When people think of of Jason Voorhees and the Friday the 13th series, they think of this guy in a hockey mask running around. But um, if you're familiar with the first movie, spoiler alert, or you've seen Scream, you will know that um, actually in the first film, it's not Jason who goes around and kills anybody. It's Jason's mother. She is basically taking revenge against the camp counselors for allowing her child to drown. Only at the end of the movie, after Mrs. Voorhees is dispatched and the producers stepped in and said, you know, we really want to add a jump scare at the end, did they add an extra scene where Alice, the final girl in that one, is floating around in a canoe and this deformed kid jumps up out of the lake and drags her down in, which paves the way for the sequel in a way, and in a way really not. This movie opens up with Alice. She is older, and the first, gosh, almost 10 minutes of this film are nothing but flashbacks to the first film, just to catch you up on it. Laying in bed, tossing and turning, and playing bits from the first movie in her head over and over again. And before that happens, we do see some legs walk across the street uh, towards her house. So we know that Alice herself may be in a bit of danger. And and she was played by Adrienne mm-hmm. King, who you know replies to her role from the first film. She had a bit of a problem, actually, after the first movie. Wasn't terribly interested in coming back in for this movie because she had a stalker yep. problem that was pretty serious. But she ended up coming back for this film anyway. And depending on which account you believe, either she wanted her herself to be ended (laughs) for the movie so that she didn't have to participate in any future ones or she asked for the door to be left open for her to participate in the future ones but they just didn't do that yeah that's what i heard yeah in either case it makes a little more sense of the latter if she had a stalker problem you know i don't think she'd want to continue very few people involved in the first movie wanted to be involved in the second movie because they thought it was really stupid yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it and it is I mean, it's kind of stupid, whatever. I mean, the series gets far more stupid moving forward. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't make really any sense. The opening scenes of this movie are supposed to be soon after the events of uh, the first movie and, and Alice's, you know, dealing with her trauma or whatever. Many people involved, like you said, were not interested in returning because they thought, well, if Jason was alive the whole time, then... Mrs. Voorhees' motivation in the whole movie is suspect. Like, why is she yeah. running around killing all of these people out of revenge if Jason was alive the whole time? Did she not know? Like, <laughs> I, I think I read somewhere that somebody said, "What? like, is Jason, like, surviving on acorns, like, out in the woods and nobody sees him? Like, <laughs> where, where is, where is he? Has, where has he been? Where has he been for these, like, 30 years? Yeah, and it, it also doesn't really make any sense because the events of this movie, except for the opening scene, which is supposed to be right after the events of the first movie, the rest of the movie is supposed to take place five years after uh, the events of the first. In the first movie, when Jason jumps out of the water and grabs Alice, he's still clearly a kid, like maybe a teenager, maybe an adolescent, but um, in this movie, he is certainly an adult man. (laughs) (laughs) So it really doesn't make any sense, but ultimately who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Money talks. (laughs) Right. That's basically it. Uh, The first movie had Tom Savini, you know, doing the makeup effects. Um, He decided because he thought it was stupid, he wasn't going to come back. Instead, he went and did a movie that we have reviewed before called The Burning, which yep. he thought would do a little bit better, but didn't. Even though I think it's a fine film, they were all ripoffs of each other. Even the Friday the Thirteenth was a ripoff of Halloween, and then <laughs> and there was high pressure to get 
to get for, on John Carpenter to get Halloween two out after this movie came out. So yeah, <laughs> this is all just a very cannibalistic process it, at this time period in 1981 when um, everybody's trying to leap on the slasher bandwagon. Even Sean Cunningham, the director from the first film, wasn't really involved. I think he did come back a little bit to help with a little bit of pre-production on it and some of the casting, uh, but he wasn't interested. He also thought it was stupid. So he really paved the way for a few other people to come in and actually get a bit of a start here. I, I was interested to see that the director of this film was Steve Miner, who did House. Yeah. And then I think he also went on to do Warlock and mm-hmm. H2O Halloween in yep. the 90s. Yeah. He did some work on The Wonder Years. He did part three, too. Uh, You're right. Friday the 13th. The producer, Frank Mancusco, Manusco Jr., happened to be the, I think he's the son of the head of Paramount at the time, jumped on here. I mean, he was like fresh out of college, like 22, 23, jumped on here to produce because the original producer wasn't interested, and um, then ended up producing all the rest of the movies in the series, as well as the TV show and, and a lot of other stuff. Actually ended up being a really big name. Um, in producing. But, you know, I mean, come on. If you're the son of the head of Paramount, what, right. what else are you going to do? <laughs> don't right. think this movie is rocking it in him to start him. <laughs> right. But anyway, I had seen this movie before because one Halloween, I put it to myself that I was going to watch all of the Friday the 13th from the first one all the way through the, what, 26th one or whatever was was out at that mm-hmm. time. And I know you're a big fan of these, or just you're a fan of these. I'm, yeah. I've never really been a big fan of these, but I... Did my best, and I think I got through. I think I turned off Jason Goes to New York well before he even got to New York, and I said, This is dumb. I'm, I really can't sit through any more of these movies. <laughs> but I do have a healthy respect for the first one and this one, and I think it's either the. Which is the one with Corey Feldman in it? Maybe three. Three or four. I don't. No, 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 no. Four, yeah, it's, it's got to be four. I, I, I don't remember. Three's where he gets the mask. I don't know. It, it goes all over the place. To say I'm a big fan would be a stretch. Um, okay. Even though I like the Nightmare on Elm Street series far more, I'm a fan of these movies for a similar reason in that it was just something throughout my childhood that these movies would come out, and it was something that I was familiar with, and. It was just fun and exciting to have a new one every year or every couple of years. It's not that they're great; they're they're not great. <laughs> like I, I really do like the first two. I think that the first one is interesting in that you know the killer is kind of unexpected, and the first one really is very much a suspense film. Yeah, you've got the killing and the gore, but it's 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 kind of a murder mystery. Um, you know, who is it? And then when Mrs. Voorhees uh, shows up at the end, I mean, you don't even see her until the very, very no. end of the movie. She just <laughs> pops up um, like, hello, I'm this strange character who you've never seen before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute before I try to kill you. Yeah. Um, Exposition lady. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that was kind of cool. And uh, who's the lady that played Mrs. Voorhees? Betsy Palmer. Thank Betsy you. Palmer. I, I liked her as a villain because at the same time that she's very much, you know, just like kind of a motherly, grandmotherly type presence with her appearance and her voice, she is actually very scary at the yeah. end. Like, she's she's clearly very unhinged, and <laughs> um, she's, she's a frightening presence. And then this one, you know, the second one, it's so formulaic. You know, when I was watching this, I was thinking, whereas maybe Halloween should get a lot of the credit for establishing the slasher movie. It's really Friday the 13th, and I think especially Friday the 13th Part 2, that really sets up the formula for the 80s teen slasher movie. Uh, I mean, it just really doesn't get more formulaic than this movie. I mean, you've got this mysterious killer who kills a bunch of teenagers who are doing the sex and the drugs and <laughs> you know uh and and that's that's legit all it is <laughs> like there, there's nothing more to it than that and um and then they move on in in part three he gets the mask which is iconic and great but it's really still the same formula a bunch of teenagers out of the camp and then after that you know they 
realized, of course, that if they were going to continue this, they couldn't just keep making the same exact movie over and over again, and so they did different stuff with it. But in this movie, and it's one of the things that I appreciate in this movie, in this movie, Jason is still just a backwoods, deformed, you know, socially inept guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he he's just a guy. And, and you can fight a guy. Later on in the series, he becomes, you know, like this zombie unstoppable monster demon force yeah. right which is again you know i that's fine I, I i don't have a problem with it but i i do appreciate that in this movie it's a little bit more grounded not necessarily realistic by any stretch of the imagination but um you know he's not this unstoppable supernatural force he's just a backwoods guy uh, who, you know, they kind of have a fighting chance against, and yeah, it, it is what it is. It's funny, I don't I don't have a whole lot watching it again, and, and I've watched these movies many, many times. In fact, when I was in, I don't know, junior high, high school, um, I had a VHS tape that had Friday the 13th Part 1 and 2 on it, and that VHS tape got a lot of use <laughs> because <laughs> I would watch it, I would take it to you know, friends' houses if we were going to stay up late and have a movie night, and we would just watch them back-to-back, one and two. Um, And it was fun. I I watched them a lot. They're fun popcorn kind of slasher movies. But watching it again, and oh my gosh, I didn't even realize how long it had been. It's got to have been at least 15 years since I've seen this movie. Mm. But watching it again, I'm like, oh man. (laughs) It's so formulaic and yeah. uh, really a little bit hokey. I, I guess, to be fair, it, it just probably hasn't aged well. And that must be just because so many... We've seen so many of these yeah. since. At the time, you know, there, of course, there had been the Giallo films. It's not like, you know, slasher movies, killer movies were a new thing. But this... I feel like this and Halloween um, really kind of set the mold for a certain genre of horror films that is still thriving. You know, people are still making these movies uh, and people are enjoying them. So um, it certainly has its place in horror cinematic history. Uh, So I'm not going to take that away from it. But from a modern perspective, it's a little bit, yeah been there seen it (laughs) yeah i guess um, yeah the most disappointing stuff is probably like the acting the writing um, all the stuff that happens in between the killings is really it's all a groaner i mean actually it makes the burning look quite good and i think we enjoyed the burning but one thing i think we had to say about the burning is that it had a lot of heart and i think we felt like the characters in that film seemed like real people, seemed like normal, you know, campers that we would want to hang out with and spend time with. Whereas everybody in this film feels like a like a movie character, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, it's just a, a bunch of horny twenty somethings. Like that's mm-hmm. that's all they boil down to. Like there's one guy in a wheelchair, so yeah. I guess that makes him kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, they're just a bunch of rowdy, horny. There's, I, I assume they're supposed to be late teens, early twenties, but I mean they're obviously all in their twenties, and you know that's that's something that's funny about it too. Like the the whole premise is that um, it's five years after the original events, and they're not actually at. Camp Crystal Lake, which mm-hmm. they refer to as Camp Blood because of the events of the first movie. They're not actually there, but they're, they're the on Crystal Lake. <laughs> right? They're like a hop, down skip, and a jump away. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's all of these uh, counselors. They're at a camp counselor training facility. Is that a thing? Like... <laughs> <laughs> like I was never a camp counselor. I was never, you know, one of the camper type of kids. But yeah. um, I didn't. I didn't know that they had to go to school for that. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, it's a good question. And maybe it was to save money, you know. And maybe it was to to get some slightly older people involved, so they didn't have to worry too much about like minors or whatnot. And like you, you have a slightly older population now, right? They're not. Mm-hmm. They're older teens and and not the younger ones. Like if you watch Sleepaway Camp, you know they're kids in that movie that yeah, they're yeah. like 
9 and 12. Whereas these people, I think they're still supposed to be 19, 20, but they still look like they're, you know, 28, 30. (laughs) But I think, you know, I think it takes a little bit of the bite out of Jason a little bit, just because, like you said, he is just kind of a backwoods guy. And with the loss of the mystery, those two things combined, I think, make this one of the, I don't know, I guess I should say every time some legs came on the screen and started walking towards somebody or, you know, a hand pushed aside a bush so that they could creep, peek out at somebody else. I think it just didn't seem that sinister to me as impending as the later films do when you know that, you know, Jason is just, is a zombie dude who can be anywhere he wants to be. Well, to be fair, I guess in 1981, people wouldn't have necessarily known they wouldn't have the context that we have for sure and they you know they wouldn't have known that necessarily that this was jason it could have been anybody you know they the the this movie does the same thing that uh the first movie did by introducing the creepy character of crazy ralph oh yeah Uh, crazy ralph was in the first movie too and you wondered if he was the killer and he comes back in this movie too and he you know he's just this crazy local that uh says things like you're all doomed (laughs) (laughs) and that's it like (laughs) i feel like that's his only line in the movie um Um, And then he creeps around for a while. And so, you know, people in 1981 may not, they wouldn't have had the expectation uh, that we have. And I can see how coming from our perspective, this seems a little bit tame just because eventually Jason is this bio (laughs) <laughs> like, like he's in space and he's like <laughs> right. he's bursting out of graves and yeah he, right he's appearing in one place and then suddenly disappearing and appearing in another place just it's like he's outside of time and space itself there are demons flying out of his face and th- you know like yeah, yeah the, the stakes are raised in uh, the later movies just a little bit <laughs> eventually he turns into like an evil worm that can infest other people <laughs> and here he's he's a hillbilly with a pillowcase over his head <laughs> uh, right right so yeah the it's it's a little bit less climactic with within the context but it it, it seemed much fresher oh, in I'm 1981 sure. than yeah. it seems today of course when i was thinking about talking about this and i was thinking about plot and i took all these notes with all you know the details of what happens but after alice is killed um and and she is you know like you said she has those flashbacks and then she wakes up and she has a phone call with her mother which i read was entirely unscripted because when adrian king came back to do this movie, she only wanted to be in it for a little bit because she was dealing with, like you said, that stalker problem. Um, And so she showed up, and she hadn't even been given a script. She didn't even know that Jason was the killer when she showed up on set. And she only shot for two days. It's just this scene with her, and and there are some jump scares with her cat and, you know, silly stuff. Um, But eventually... (laughs) The cat jump scare is hilarious because <laughs> she goes into the kitchen, the window's open. As she approaches it, it literally looks like somebody threw the cat in, in the window. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> Poor cat was probably more surprised than she was. Yeah. And, and you know, we see somebody in, like, workman's boots and jeans or, you know, work pants or something stalking around outside her house. And there's a lot of – not a lot is an exaggeration, but there are several things in this movie that are just – kind of hilarious in the context of the whole thing like like jason prank calls her (laughs) you know it's not like he's heavy breathing or like asking her if her refrigerator is running or anything but like he 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 like calls her and she answers and and he hangs up and also like i have no idea where she's supposed to be like after all of her friends were murdered in crystal lake did she just like get an apartment there (laughs) it doesn't make any sense to me that's true either that or jason like learned to drive and he had to like look her up in the phone book or something and drive (laughs) to her house 
Right. <laughs> uh, and and he finds her apparently. And my favorite part about this scene is that she opens up her refrigerator and Mrs. Voorhees' head, yeah. which Alice had chopped off in the first one, um, is in her refrigerator. <laughs> and uh, she screams, and then Jason kills her with an ice pick. And like I read that there was an accident. The ice pick was supposed to be retractable, and it didn't retract, so she was actually injured and. She didn't know she was going to be killed off, but she was. And you kind of briefly mentioned it before, but that scene, this is all pre-credits. It's 16 minutes, I yeah. think, before we get the 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 title mm-hmm. uh, and, and the credits. And the, the title comes on Friday the 13th in, like, big block letters, and it explodes. <laughs> Part 2 jumps in. And then the title sequence is long, too, and it's just music with a black screen and words coming up on it. I mean, it's really kind of strange how they put it together. I felt like maybe they were trying to pad it there. Pad it with the extra footage from the first movie. Pad it with a really long credit scene. And like you said, um, this this whole sequence that's a really long before the, the, the credits, I think is actually really well done. Yeah. If you look yeah. at it, it's only two or three shots. Uh, he he does these really long takes where he's following her through the house. And I'm sure that's why it took so long, was just to get everything very right. But I think overall, this might be one of the better made of the films as far from a, you know, just from a cinematography perspective. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's poorly made really at all. And And actually, as I was watching, there are some shots of them the counselors who we eventually get to like walking through the woods and I, you know, I'm watching it this time. I'm like, Oh, the color looks really nice here. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, things that I've never considered before we started doing this. <laughs> but, uh, I thought that, you know, the, the cinematography was pretty good and th- that opening scene is interesting and, you know, I enjoy it. You know, you reconnect with the, the, the main character from the first movie, which draws you in, that's great. And then you get to the movie proper, which by the time you get there is really only an hour-long movie. Hmm. It's about these camp counselors, and they all arrive at this training facility, and you're introduced to all of them, and they're all young and hot and, you know, (laughs) fun, and that's great. And the main character shows up, Jenny, and she's played by Amy Steele. Yeah, Amy Steele. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of this sassy blonde who doesn't follow the rules and in a romantic relationship with the guy who's running the place. And from that point on, it's just kind of shenanigans yeah. leading, up to, <laughs> leading up to each of the, well, a group of the counselors. I actually thought this was really clever. Okay, first, they have all the counselors there. And there's a whole bunch of them. And they have a campfire where Paul, the main, the guy who's training the counselors, I guess, um, they have this big bonfire, and he tells the legend of Jason Voorhees. And I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old-timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there, some sort of demented creature surviving in the wilderness full grown by now and it's this fun campfire thing where he's telling the story and then at the end the goofy guy uh ted (laughs) jumps out in uh, a mask with a spear and he's got like a loincloth on and everybody's scared and ha 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 then there's some goofiness where like they're you know people are talking and they're swimming and they're doing counselor type things and a couple of the kids go off to try to find camp blood and throughout all of this you're getting the killer point of view shots so you know that somebody is lurking and watching mm-hmm. but a couple of them go off um, Jeff and Sandra uh, go off looking for camp blood and you think surely that they're going to be the first ones to go but they're not the no. cops catch them and and bring them back <laughs> and it, what I was trying to get to is that eventually what I think that they do that is really smart is they get most of them out of there <laughs> like yeah like after all of this happens Paul says anybody wants a last night on the town now's your chance yeah, I'll yeah. <laughs> okay who else we only have two cars oh and by the way our wanderers have volunteered to stay behind and watch the camp isn't that nice of you and two thirds of them leave yeah. So we're only left with a third of them left. So then we just get to watch them get picked off one by one after they start doing the sex and the drugs. <laughs> yep. 
and it's really not even that much sex and drugs, especially compared to later in the films, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's really pretty tame all around. I mean, I think they're smoking some weed. Yeah. And a few characters have sex, and that's It's about a gateway it. drug, Todd. Is it? Oh, okay, right. Okay. <laughs> you should be taking this more seriously. <laughs> One of the the sex scenes, too, I was, I mean, um, Sandra and Jeff, who go upstairs, they're going to have sex while the wheelchair guy and the, his girl, the girl who's coming on to him are downstairs playing handheld video games. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is impressive for 1981. I mean, I remember what those were like. They were pretty lame. They they keep you occupied for about five minutes. (laughs) Then you have to move on to other activities. But anyway, yeah, the, the, the two upstairs, you know, their sex scene is actually mostly not there because apparently they had a whole long sequence of full frontal nudity and everything and it turned out the paramount learned that the actress was uh, underage yep. so they they cut that and and this this scene we did bay of blood earlier that uh, older giallo pick italian movie that was a precursor to these and arguably precursor to all of these slasher movies and mm-hmm. really set that pattern and this death is just ripped straight out of there even though mm-hmm. the the makers of this film swear that they didn't it's the same thing and it's so much the same that there's no way they couldn't have and that is that jason grabs a spear that happens to be there this is what goofy man you know, was dancing around with at the campfire and had put it up against right. the wall. Grabs a spear, goes up the stairs, and the two of them are laying down in bed, and he just spears through them both. And what what could have been, like like in Bay of Blood, a really amazing and incredibly cool, you know, scene, ended up getting cut. I mean, there's very little sex. You just see them on top of each other for a split second, and you see the spear approach from the same point of view shot as in Bay of Blood, but then it cuts to a shot underneath the mattress, and you see the the bloody tip of the spear come through, and that's it. I don't even think you see the aftermath, and I think that was cut. That was one of the scenes that was really had to be cut in order to avoid uh, getting an X rating. The only thing that you see of the aftermath, because another actress, you know, and it's it's funny because you know once they get rid of most of the counselors, then Jason just starts picking them off really quick. And don't be sad, horror fans, if you haven't seen this movie, because you do get plenty of. Yeah. Nudity. <laughs> yeah. Nudity of blood. But before this, you get a you know a, a very attractive skinny young lady stripping down to go skinny dipping, which for no good reason. Right. And, While she's and, looking for her dog, Muffins. Yeah, it's gone missing, Muffin. Like, muffins, Muffins, where are you, Muffins? Well, I think I might take a quick dip. <laughs> All this looking for Muffins has gotten me she hot. She was practically naked before she took her clothes off. Yeah. She was wearing like this this top that's cut right below her breasts and no bra. No bra. I mean, she was leaving nothing to imagination anyway. But she goes skinny dipping. And I read, I don't know if this is true or not, but that this was kind of, you know, what... Uh, started the whole if you go skinny dipping you die uh, uh. trope in in horror but and okay this is so random but funny story <laughs> I was watching this <laughs> I was watching this and um, my partner came home and he wanted to talk to me about what we were going to have for dinner and so he's like can you pause and I said yeah and I paused it and it was right at the scene where this girl I don't remember her name was was stripping and she was almost entirely nude like she was pulling her bottoms off he saw me pause it right in that moment he's like what are you watching <laughs> and I said Friday the 13th too and he said is that that gayest movie you've ever seen movie (laughs) (laughs) and i said no and then i just kind of let it go like that's the most random question ever and later he was like oh yeah you were watching that gay movie and i'm like what are you talking about it was a naked chick on the screen and he was like oh i thought it was a dude (laughs) actually i could see how he would think that yeah he said he said, I guess everybody was just really skinny in the seventies. <laughs> oh, but anyway, oh. the naked chick gets teased and taunted by a guy, and then he runs off with her clothes, and he ends up getting pulled up into a rope trap. That was pretty um, brutal. Which I, I didn't really understand. Like, did Jason set a rope trap? Did somebody else set a rope <laughs> trap as a joke? I don't know. But anyway, they so Jason slits his throat, and then she comes back to cut him down because she had to go get a knife to cut him down or whatever, and she comes back, and he's dead, and then she gets 
killed with something. It's just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, um, pretty these, quickly. These can- counselors get picked off in a, in a matter of, I would guess, what, maybe 15 minutes? Mm. Everybody who stayed back at camp just gets slaughtered. By this point, we're at, we're at least three-quarters of the way through the movie. I mean, they kind of have right. to. <laughs> There's been just a bunch of nonsense up until then. And not, like I said, not even really interesting nonsense. A lot of really goofy banter back and forth. Mark, what happened? Did you have to be in a chair? Motorcycle accident. Paralyzed my legs. Is it permanent? Doctor thinks so. I don't. I don't intend to be in this thing the rest of my life. Just your legs, huh? Is everything else okay? Oh, I do all right. One way or another. The wheelchair dude gets picked off as well. I remember this scene. I don't know if it's iconic or if it's just iconic in my head. But he gets sliced in the the head with a machete. And then his wheelchair goes flying down the stairs. And and it, like you don't even see him land at the bottom. Like they uh, they freeze it. Like you get a freeze frame of him just yeah. in process of of going down the stairs. But it, it sticks in my mind. It's a, a pretty cool image. Yeah, it's 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 interesting actually. Like I said, when I say this is maybe more w- well made, it feels like the director here has some ideas. And even yeah. with this bit where, like you said, it's go the, the wheelchair is going backwards down with him on it going backwards down these steps and suddenly there's a freeze frame and the freeze frame kind of zooms in on it and then kind of goes to white it's just a really jarring thing that i think has a has a certain effect of really burning that image in your brain and making it Mm -hmm. just a little more impactful even though we really didn't get to see a whole lot you know of the detail Mm -hmm. of the gore and stuff Uh, it was pretty well done i thought maybe a good way i imagined anyway that this is one of those cases where they had to cut seconds off of this and this was a way for him to to do that and, and keep the impact well, and I know they did. I can't imagine that this is one of those scenes, but I know that they did have to cut almost a minute of footage to avoid getting an X rating, which is is so funny to me. I know that Wes Craven struggled with the the ratings board all the time, and he was always having to cut his movies um, to avoid X or NC seventeen ratings. But it's just so funny to watch a movie like this and think that they had to cut it down to avoid an X rating yeah. because by modern standards, it is unbelievably tame like unbelievable like this is stuff that you could easily see on network television you know like Mm -hmm. seven or eight o'clock at night it's (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't know if to say we've come a long way is the right (laughs) way of putting it but things have changed since 1981 saw saw this is not let's put it that way no this is not for by any stretch of the imagination yeah um so, yeah, all right, what is it, machete to the head, spears to the stairs. <laughs> machete to the head, right? <laughs> Just, like, go down the checklist, well, right? <laughs> the, yeah, so so they all get killed. I mean, there's a lot of goofiness with, like, the girl who is trying to seduce the wheelchair guy, and, like, the wheelchair guy's cute. I might want to seduce him, too. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, but she, like, she goes and, like, sprays perfume like on her vagina and like (laughs) 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 meanwhile he's getting a machete to the face and then (laughs) she comes back and and she finds no 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 no, but before, in order before she does that, she changes from her from her sexy black panties to her sexy to brown her sexy panties. brown panties. I actually thought her black panties were far sexier. I, thought I don't so know too. what she I was. Didn't understand what was going on there? I was like, did the prop people swap this? Yeah, her satin brown panties looked a little droopy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure did. <laughs> but yeah, she changes into her sexy brown panties and then she goes back and she there's like a clubhouse where they all hang out. Mm-hmm. And um sh- she goes back and her wheelchair guy is gone cuz he's dead and she can't find him and then it's really quiet so she can't find anybody. She knows that Jeff and uh, Sandra were upstairs having sex so she goes to look for them. And she opens the door and they're in bed under the sheets, but they're not responding to her. And so, like, she goes over and starts to pull back the sheet, and Jason pops up in yeah, the bed. Yeah, that was um, good. Which I thought, yeah, it was a great scare. I, I didn't see that coming. It, it was and, a little bit, it's a bit of a nod to Halloween, though. This is the first time that we actually see Jason's head, 
right? Yeah. He's yeah, got yeah, the... Yeah, I think so. It's basically, if you know the town that's dreaded Sundown and the Bandito in that, it's exactly the same look. And I guess it was a costume designer who decided that a pillowcase pulled over his head, tied around the neck or whatever with a, with a couple holes cut in it would be something that this guy living in the woods for all this time would have ready access to. Right. I guess, you know, there's like a Bed Bath & Beyond around the corner or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but, but because, you know, if you look back at, this, at the scene in Halloween when the girl is in bed and she thinks that her boyfriend is coming in, you know, this is right after they have sex, and it turns out right. to be Mike Myers and he's approaching her with the sheet. This is almost just a flip-flop of that scene. Instead of yeah. um, her in bed and somebody coming to, you know, the killer coming towards him in a sheet, this is another girl coming in and the killer coming out of bed in the sheet. But I just, I, it felt like almost the same scene to me. I don't know. I guess it's been so long since I've seen that movie. I didn't think about it, but I didn't remember this. You know, I remember so much about this movie and I didn't remember this. And when he popped out from under the sheet, I jumped a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, the camera changes perspective and and films the girl who was coming in from like facing her front and then you see behind her that the guy jeff or whoever it is is like impaled and hanging up on the wall and she kind of cowers back against him and and then she gets stabbed i think yeah Um, jason utilizes many utensils and he's got a he's got a machete he's got a knife he's got a pitchfork he's got all kinds of things he settles on the machete eventually but this one he's trying them all out to see which one fits best (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Meanwhile, we've got the bar scene. They're at this big bar. The rest of them are. Bar and casino. <laughs> but, but, yeah. That, that cracks me up. They pull up to this place, which, like, we've told you all before that, you know, Todd's lived all over the world, but uh, at one time we both lived in, you know, a small Midwestern town, and I've lived here all my life. I've seen these places. Oh, yeah. Like, these, these dives, these country <laughs> dives, they're like restaurant, bar, casino, gas station. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's right. In a, like a large converted house that's been added on to over the years as some kind right. of crazy monstrosity. <laughs> I just loved it that they were going to this bar, and you see on one side of it, there's just this little sign, Casino! Casino! (laughs) They probably got, like, two slot machines in there. (laughs) But you you know what's hilarious? As I was looking through the credits at the end, special thanks to Casino, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, God, that was a real location? That's hilarious. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're there, and of course, it's just revelry. Another thing that I found really amusing about this movie was the dancing. There's more than one time when people are dancing and (laughs) they're just kind of like standing still and kind of bopping. Like it's so funny. And in, in the bar scene, you see all these people dancing and there's a band playing and it's this very generic music that I'm sure that they use so that they didn't have to pay any royalties for any actual music. But if you look, the band is clearly singing, and there's no, no. <laughs> there are no vocals to the music at all. <laughs> oh, it's funny. That is funny. The whole reason for the bar scene is, uh, well, there's some comic relief with Ted, excuse me, the goofy one. Ted and Paul, Paul and, and Jenny. Uh, Jenny are sitting at the bar talking, and they're talking about Jason, and Jenny goes into this whole, like... <laughs> serious monologue about like what if Jason is real? No, what if there is some kind of boy or beast running around Camp Crystal Lake? I mean, let's try to think beyond the legend, put it in real terms. I mean, what would it be like today? Some kind of -of out-of-control psychopath? A frightened retard? A child trapped in a man's body? In, In a movie like this, to get any character who would be you know, expressing empathy. Oh, he's probably really sad. He probably sits in his cabin crying all day. (laughs) 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 It's funny. I think as it turns out, she's like a psychology student, right? Or like a child psychology student or something like that. Figuring all this out, I guess, on her own. I mean, she practically says, I'll bet he's sitting in his cabin right now with her severed head and some candles around it. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be crazy? 
Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, that kind of plays out to how she <laughs> wins in the end, which is, you know, kind of funny yeah. and clever. But um, that whole bar scene is, is just funny. <laughs> in, in many ways, this movie just feels very cobbled together yeah. like rush like you could you could <laughs> cut everything except for the jason killing people and you know that's that's the meat of the movie and then yeah. everything else just kind of feels like well we still got 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> It, and, and and it feels so low budget too. Like I'm watching this and I'm like, man, they didn't spend any money on this movie at all. Like I think these people are wearing their same clothes that they probably wore to set. You know, probably yeah. There's nothing for props. There's nothing for locations. Uh, it's all so bare bones. Th- actually, this leads to what I thought was the creepiest um, part of the film, and that was when Paul and Jenny come back and the lights are on, but nobody's home. And they're wandering around trying to find uh, where they are, and they think maybe people are playing a trick on them. And as they go upstairs, the lights go out. So then they come back downstairs, and Paul is by the window. I think he might be trying the phone or something, and Jenny is I, th- I think he's messing with the fuses or something. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, that's it. Yeah. And Jenny comes down, and so this room is half in shadow. It's like patches of shadow all around, and you know that there's just got to be something there. And the minute that you know there's got to be something there, Jenny says... Paul, there's someone in this room. Mm. And that, like, for this movie, that that actually sent a a little bit of a chill up my spine. Oh, yeah, me too. This bit was really effective. And sure enough, you know, there is. And and Jason jumps out and starts wrestling with Paul on the ground. That was just really well done. I agree. And it's it's such a simple line. There's somebody else in this room. And she, she repeats it twice, I think. And she's like... There's somebody in this room. And then then you see Jason standing there and he attacks Paul. And again, this is another reason why I appreciate this movie is that, you know, he attacks Paul and they fight yeah, like a, a couple of guys, mm-hmm. you know, like it's it's not some supernatural being that can just crush your head with his hands. You know, it's they 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 fight like a couple of dudes. Well, Jenny just stands there staring at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Jenny ends up trapped, right? I thought that uh, this part was really good, too, and pretty suspenseful because she runs away, but she's still kind of stuck in the house. Like, she just runs to the bathroom, (laughs) like, right at, like, the next room over, and she's standing there holding the door, like, pulling it, like she's trying to keep somebody out, but then she sees that there's a window, you see her struggle with the decision, like, what do I do? Do I let go of the door? Then he could get in, or do I go for the window? Eventually, uh, she decides to go for the window, but this is after kind of like, I don't know, a 10-second, 15-second kind of tense moment where she's making the decision, and then she finally goes for the window, and then there's a great jump scare where Jason bursts. I mean, he doesn't burst through the window. It's a tiny bathroom window, but his arm comes through the window and tries to grab her, and then she runs away again. It's stereotypical in that it's, you know, it's a a typical kind of girl-in-peril chase. Right. Um, But it's not stereotypical in that she's actually pretty clever. Yeah. Like, at at one point, I don't know, she gets in the kitchen, he finds her there, um, but eventually she gets outside and she takes off running, and she does the thing that I always want people in horror movies to do. Like, if you're running away from somebody in the woods, like, run until you're out of sight, and then hide. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's what she does. And she she hides, and he goes past her looking for her and she's able to double back there's also something at one point she gets in her car and he like gets on the roof and does the pitchfork through the car and it's 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 a a pretty long chase scene and they're at the camp and then they're in the car and then they're in the woods and then they're back at the camp there's even like a passage of time sequence where it's like shot of her running shot of the moon shot of him running shot of the moon you're thinking geez how long long is this going on (laughs) well and she and she gets after she tricks him in the woods she goes back to a cabin i don't know whose cabin it is she goes back to a cabin and she hides under the bed and uh he comes to that cabin i don't know how he knew to go to that one, but whatever. And um, she's hiding under the bed, and he doesn't notice her there. But then a rat 
comes along the wall and like comes right up to her face and she doesn't scream or anything but she pees herself yeah. and uh he sees the pee <laughs> trickle out i guess down her leg and out the back <laughs> it must have made a lot of noise I, it's you know what i actually read online or saw um an interview or something where somebody had said that the filmmakers insisted that that was not her pee it was the rat's pee what? That doesn't yes. even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the rat came and peed and, and left. Came and peed more than its body weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. But anyway, Jason sees her there, and so then he tricks her and makes her think that he left, but he didn't. He really stood on a chair, and then she comes out, and he tries to kill her with the pitchfork, but His the chair, chair breaks. breaks, and he falls, and the pitchfork breaks, and... She takes off running again, and she runs through the woods, and she ends up at this shack, which we hadn't mentioned before. There was a whole scene with a cop who saw Jason running through the forest and chased him to this shack uh, and then ended up getting killed. Well, anyway, now Jenny ends up at this shack. Jason is right on her heels, and she ends up in this back room in his makeshift shack, that mm-hmm. has a toilet in it. <laughs> apparently he has plumbing. And He's his got some plumbing, apparently. Makeshift shack in the woods. <laughs> um, but she ends up in this room that we the cop had found, but we had only seen his facial expression like, oh, like scary. I don't know. It's a shrine, um, and his mother's head is on the shrine, and the bodies of most of the people that he's killed throughout the movie and Alice's body are kind of strewn around this shrine to his mom. And Jenny, being the child psychologist that she is, takes Mrs. Voorhees' sweater from that's on the shrine from the first movie and puts it on and tries to arrange her hair to look like uh, Mrs. Voorhees so that when Jason finally breaks through, she's there. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite scenes from the whole series. Mm. I just think it's it's clever and Smart. it's well executed and for a final girl she's smart and you know she's a smart final girl uh all around really and she's tough i really like this scene yeah it's great she's just standing there and she starts talking to him like she's his mother jason it's all done jason you've done your job well and mommy is pleased that's a good boy now come to mommy come on And it's superimposing footage of Jason's mother, um, Betsy Palmer. And apparently she came in and just like filmed these scenes in like 40 minutes in front of a black screen. And didn't even remember that she had done it later. <laughs> She's like, I never showed, I never was in the second one. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. And, and it, it has an effect on Jason. And it's cool because we can actually see Jason's eye through mm-hmm. one of the holes in the sack. And she essentially you see it's it's almost like a tug like you you wonder if she, if it's working or if it's 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 having it's an effect jason starts to approach but then he stops he starts to approach again and then suddenly you hear jenny <laughs> and paul shows up from behind which which is a little disappointing yeah you kind of you kind of wish that jenny could have taken care of it on her own but the stuff with betsy palmer and you know the way that they kind of superimpose her face over and it's not there's a little bit of superimposing but it's really kind of cutting it's just fading back and forth but i i really liked it and i really like betsy palmer as mrs Voorhees. yeah she was great in the first movie she's good here this is a little off topic but i know that they tried to get her for freddie versus jason to to reprise her role and uh she uh demanded too much money and so they ended up casting somebody else which was unfortunate i think that she's since passed away but uh she's she's good and it was nice to see her um but i also thought in this scene and i don't know if that's what they were going for at all but you can just there's only one hole in jason's head sack and so you can only see one of his eyes but it's the non-deformed one and I felt like this scene gave him a little bit of humanity. It really did. Um, and and almost made you feel a little bit sorry for him. And ultimately, you should. You know? Like, yes. This is a kid who was tormented throughout his life and then 
left to die or not die, whatever, who knows. Um, the premise of this movie is that he saw his mother get killed. Now, how that's... Even possible. Uh, right, even possible is beyond me, but okay, whatever. If all of that is true, it doesn't excuse him killing a bunch of people, but... you know, you, <laughs> But gosh you darn it. Sh- <laughs> right. You, show the guy a little empathy. He's been through shit. <laughs> he, he, he really has. And you, see, and you see that a little bit. And you just do. seeing his eye, which is just, you know, a man's eye, or a woman. I, I was going to say, not sure. it even seems a little boyish. I mean, I, I felt when I looked at that eye, I was seeing a kid. You know, it was, uh, yeah. it was really... Well, whether intended or not to go that far, it really, it really hammered that point home, I felt like. And the acting, you know, from Jason, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, as as little as he has to do. And, and I have no idea whose eye that was because there was one guy was credited with playing Jason, but actually several people were in the costume at different It was not times. his eye. The guy who's credited from playing Jason only comes in like one mo- one moment later, which pissed off the other dude who spent most of the time playing Jason in this show. <laughs> well, yeah, and at one point it was a woman. It was the costume designer or somebody at the, yeah, very, the very first beginning. scene when you see him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it gives him a little bit of humanity. And then when what what breaks the spell is that she inadvertently, I guess, kind of moves and he sees his mom's severed head and that kind of breaks his spell. Uh, but then you're right. Then Paul comes in and they fight and it looks like Jason's going to kill Paul, but then Jenny gets Jason through the shoulder with a machete and it appears that he's dead. And so Paul and Jenny go back to camp and they're in uh, one of the cabins and they hear a scary noise at the door. So they go uh, and, and Jenny you know, sets herself up with uh, the pitchfork, so if somebody comes in, she's ready, and it's it's really kind of tense and good, but um, Paul opens the door, and it's Muffins, the dog, (laughs) Um, and I was really glad, because they had strongly implied earlier that Muffins had been killed, and I was not happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one death that would really bother you. (laughs) (laughs) It's Muffins, and she's fine. The guy in the wheelchair, who cares? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, screw him, whatever. <laughs> That's what you get for riding motorcycles. <laughs> then the the very last, well, not the very last thing, but Jason unmasked because Jenny had taken off his sack in the cabin, even though we hadn't seen it, they saw it. Um, she took off his sack. He jumps unmasked through the window and grabs her and drags her out. And, and it's all in kind of like stop motion, slow-mo, it's... it's odd frankly yeah it goes on a little too long in slow motion yeah and and you get to you see him in all his glory which this is also interesting because they try to remain fairly consistent with his look now his look progresses over the course of the movies but in this one on one half of his head he's a long-haired hillbilly looking type guy and on the other side he is a deformed, I, I don't know, something bad. You know, he's deformed. Sanctuary! Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> y- you know, you, you see him in full glory. Like, they they make a point of showing you all of it. And she gets pulled away. And it's reminiscent of the first movie when Alice got mm-hmm. dragged down by um, creepy Jason at the end. And the same exact thing's happened happens it cuts away from that and it breaks into the next day and it's daylight and jenny is getting put into an ambulance and she says where's paul where's paul and she gets no answer and that's it that's the end that's the end so the ending is left a little bit ambiguous was that a dream that last scene where's paul Uh, was it it real (laughs) where's paul um, from what I've read, from what I've read, the filmmakers say no, it wasn't a dream that really happened, and uh, Paul likely was killed. Why she wasn't, I have no idea. Yeah. And the actress uh, who played Jenny, oh gosh, what's her name? Amy Steele. She really had hoped that because she survived the end of the movie, that she would kind of come back and be the protagonist for the series and of course that didn't happen they went in a completely different direction but part three really kind of sticks you know with the jason as this backwoods figure um but still human 
And then I don't remember. There's there's some point. It's either in part four or at the very beginning of part five that he's dead and he gets struck by lightning and reanimated. Yeah. And from that point on, it's just there are no rules. We can do whatever. He can be, you know, a zombie. He can be a demon. He can be what? He can be in space. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> he can be in the, in Times Square for five minutes. Right. And. He, what else are they going to do? I mean, you yeah. have to take it in different directions. You can't keep making the same movie over and over again. But funnily enough, fans of the franchise who want to see it continue, and this franchise is one of those franchises that has just is just in hell. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's been owned by Paramount and... Warner um, Brothers. It's, it's, yeah, it's switched hands back and forth, and you know they made a remake. I saw the remake. It was okay. I didn't think it was very good. But the fans of the movies keep saying, "Take it back." You know, put him in camp with with kids. Put it back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, we want classic Jason again. If we'll ever get that, I have absolutely no idea. But as much in development hell as this whole franchise has been in for the last 10 years at least, I very seriously doubt that we've seen the last of Jason Voorhees. Oh, for sure. As long as there's money to be made, somebody can put on a hockey mask and be Jason. <laughs> That's it. And and we haven't looked at hockey the same way again. Right. <laughs> One thing that you neglected to mention was the very last shot of the film, which is a slow motion oh, yeah. zoom in on, well, dolly in on Jason's mom's head in the in the middle of the table. And I had actually forgotten about this last shot. And as it was dollying in, I was like, oh, please, God, no. <laughs> I was just waiting for those eyes to open or for her to wink at the camera or something like that. Uh-huh. And thankfully, it freezes. But it just freezes there. And it's just weird. It's an odd shot. Because you're not really sure what its purpose is at the end of the day. Is it to show that Jason's still alive because the candles are still burning or she's still there so not forgotten? Is it, you know, is it to introduce some voodoo element later or whatever? It just, it just doesn't seem to, you don't really know. And apparently when they originally shot it, they did indeed have her like eyes opening up and winking at the camera. Yep. But of course it looks stupid. <laughs> and so they cut that. But why they even kept the shot in at all is a little strange. Unless they just spent so much money on it and they needed another, you know, 20 seconds. I, I, I don't know. I, I wish they would have kept it. <laughs> I think that would have made it as campy, pardon the pun, as mm-hmm. it uh, it should have been. I I just think that would have been really funny. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fine. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, when I was growing up in the 80s, my my impressions of Jason were already in the three and the fours. You know, it's this big brute yeah. that's supernatural. Who And always the hockey mask. I mean, that's yeah. iconic. But this is. This is, a, this is a pretty well-made film, even though it doesn't really stand the test of time. Like you said earlier, I, think, I think if we had seen this back when it had come out, we would have been thoroughly satisfied. Now you look yeah. at it, and it's just like any other movie that kind of sets the standards for the rest of them. It, it, it looks pretty hokey, you know, when you go back and look at it now. Even judged on its own merits, there's not a lot going on. <laughs> True. Like we said... Yeah. Most of the movie is corny jokes and silliness and um, dumb dialogue and characters who really you just really can't get very close to. And then Jason hacks them all away in the last 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes or yep. so. But I, I really like the bit about the cabin. You know, the, you mentioned earlier that the cop had found the cabin. I like this idea that maybe the police for the last, you know, nine years or whatever have just been patrolling the lake, just looking for people who might... I mean, they found that one couple who were poking around trying to get back to Camp Crystal Lake, like, right away. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know, but the, apparently this cabin has gone unnoticed in the woods for all these years. Yeah. But the one thing, every time somebody comes up to this cabin, there's like a puddle... There's a yeah. there's a puddle in the ground that's maybe about I don't know four feet wide that they step in or they they fall in or they trip in like like it's it's how we as the viewer know oh no they're coming close to the cabin yeah <laughs> and I'm thinking this puddle's supernatural like it, it has some kind of like black hole type force that no matter where you're, which direction you're walking towards that cabin in the woods you're gonna have to step in it on the way there and the way back <laughs> I want to see a movie about that puddle. 
really do. There's something in there, man. There's something in there. <laughs> All right. I'll get right on that. <laughs> well, thanks again for li- listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Facebook where we have a website where you can let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know other things you'd like us to review. We're still going to finish out February with one or two more of these number two films. So stay tuned for that as well. And every Thursday we do have a horror movie review in text form posted on our website at twoguys.red40net.com. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Chainsaw.